Welcome to the Mountain Brook Baptist Church podcast. We pray that this message will help you in your walk with Christ. The title of Dr. Splon's sermon today is The Obedience of Faith. The big idea is that Abraham obeys God's command of sacrificing Isaac, trusting that God would bring him back from the dead if necessary, and that ultimately faith in God leads to obedience. I think it's good to express your gratitude to people who do um, things in the life of the church. So um, thank you, Chapel Choir, um, for all the effort and time you put in. It was, it was really great. Um, and not just that it sounded great, but um, true words that led us in worship. And so thank you. Thank you, Kelly, for the time that you spend with them. Also, I hope that maybe you noticed as you're on your way into church this morning that the pine straw was fresh. Things looked a little bit cleaner around the outside. And um, thank you to everybody who came yesterday and gave of your time and, and your effort to spruce things up around the church, especially to Vince. Thanks for all you did to organize yesterday. And so we're, we're making progress more and more um, to get things ready for next Sunday. It's a big Sunday in the life of our church to welcome people back for what we hope will be something more like a normal, glorious Easter Sunday. Um, my heart is ready for that. So um, thank you to everybody who, who pitched in for that. And also just generally thank you for being a church who who lends your, your time, your talent, and your expertise to help our church run well. There's a lot of people, as I look across the congregation this morning, that, that you won't know everything that everybody does, but I get to see a lot of it. And, and our church is really blessed to have a lot of great leaders who give of their time and their talents and their treasures to help us be a better church. So thank you for being that kind of church. We're going to continue our series looking at the life of Abraham. Actually, we'll, we'll finish it today um, by looking at what is one of the most memorable and challenging events in Abraham's life. You'll find it in Genesis chapter 22 on page 14 if you're using the Pew Bible. And then we're also going to look at two New Testament passages that, that look back on this event and help us understand some of what it ought to mean for us as followers of Christ. Hebrews 11 verses 17 through 19, and James chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. So I hope that you'll follow along as we read these passages together. First in Genesis chapter 22, I'm going to read the first eight verses. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. 
The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And then Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. And then in James chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. You see that a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith alone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever taken a theology test? Have you ever taken a theology test? As I look around the room this morning, it's probably the case that that most of you have not been in a seminary classroom and had the pleasure, use that word lightly, of taking a theology test. But I remember well my days at Beeson Divinity School. I can see myself even now in one of the small apartments Mary and I lived in. We were nomads around Birmingham. We moved several times. Um, And I can picture myself sitting there, reading these theology books, looking over the study notes, trying to get myself ready to walk in the classroom and prove that I had learned all of the things that the professor expected for me that semester. And sometimes I did okay, Sometimes not as well on my tests, but I did enough to get by and to earn the Master's of Divinity degree. But I'll tell you that I would willingly, readily go back to seminary and take theology tests in the classroom over and over again, rather than be required to take theology tests out in the real world. You see, each of us in this room Day in and day out, we take theology tests. Because it's easy to gather in the sanctuary. It's easy to come in here on a Sunday morning and recite the Apostles' Creed and say, these are all the things that we believe. But it's another matter altogether to walk out of the doors and into the not-so-safe confines of the world and live into what we say we believe. 
Because the picture of faith that we find in the Bible is not one that's primarily concerned with just mental assent to a body of truths or doctrines. The picture of faith that we see on the pages of Scripture is one that, that requires everything of who we are. Our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions. And we really understand or see what we believe, not just through the words that we say, but through the lives that we live. And far too often, we as followers of Christ are much better at saying what we believe than we are at living into what we believe. And our experience of faith and our experience of our relationship with the Lord suffers in a world around us that desperately needs to know and experience the love of Jesus Christ also suffers. A group of Christians who just get together and talk about faith all the time but never live it out, to me it's like a football team that gets together for practice but never plays in games. I remember recently being involved in a, a growth group, a small group, and we were in the Cassessi conference room and we were talking about faith. And we, we talked about the idea that it's so much easier to get together and we think about theoretical things of faith and what we think to be true and to have so much more theological knowledge than we do actual practically living the things out in the world. I played football growing up all throughout high school. Some of you have asked me several times, did you play baseball? I mean, I did, but not very well. I had a really great, benevolent, kind coach that kept me on the JV team. I think just because he knew that I needed other people in my life. But I, I, I earned the nickname Lead Man because I kept the book. If I was in the game, it was either really great or really bad. But I played football, and you might even say, well, what position did you play? Maybe you were a quarterback or a receiver. No, I was an offensive lineman. I was a little bit bigger in high school. I went to a very small school. So, you know, basically if you could breathe and run, you could play. And so I was on the offensive line. And I can remember how nervous I would be before a game. That all the stuff that we had practiced, all the things that we thought about during the week, when it was actually time to go out on the field and hit somebody else, before the game, it, it was a nerve-wracking experience. But when you got out there and you actually hit somebody for the first time or got hit by somebody for the first time, the nerves went away and the joy was actually found in the playing of the game. That just practicing in day in and day out was not what you were there for. In a similar manner, Christianity is a faith that's meant to be lived out in the world with all the challenges and all the frustrations that come with it. And that really is the test of our faith. The passage in Genesis chapter 22 is, to call it a challenging passage, is quite an understatement. And we've journeyed with Abraham through the book of Genesis to this point. We've, we've seen ups and downs for him. Genesis chapter 12, he receives God's call to go to the land that God will show him. There are these promises that he's going to make him into a great nation, that he's going to bless him so he would be a source of blessing to all the nations. 
we, we marveled at the fact that Abraham went. He showed his faith and he packed up all his stuff and all his folks and off he went into the land that God would provide for him. And then we noted over and over again how God had to reaffirm these promises to Abraham. And at points, he and Sarah didn't exactly take the path of faithfulness. They tried to take matters into their own hands. They had a child, Ishmael, by the flesh. And over and over again, God says, that's not how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it through a child of promise. In the passage last week from Genesis chapter 21, we noted the celebration that they felt when God finally made good on his promise and they had this child named Isaac. And all Sarah could do was laugh. Who would have thought a woman my age would ever nurse children? And they just rejoiced. And here in Genesis chapter 22, the Lord tells Abraham to take his son, the son of promise, and go and offer him as a whole burnt offering. Now, if you read the Bible all the way through the Old Testament, you'll know that as offensive and as hard as it is to wrap our minds around, that, that the pagan peoples around God's people did engage in practices as dark as offering their children up to the gods. And I think, in part, what God's doing in Genesis 22 is to show how he's different from the gods of the peoples around them. That he would not require sacrifice of Isaac. But early in Genesis 22, it's evident that, that this is a test of faith for Abraham. You see, it'd be one thing for Abraham to sit back and we say, do you believe that God is a God who will provide? And sure, he could say, yes, I believe that God is the God who will provide. And it's a much different thing to set out on a journey and to go to the land of Moriah with your servants along and Isaac in tow, with everything necessary for the sacrifice except for what? The lamb. And Abraham, I love his faith on display even early on in this episode where he, he tells the young man, he says, we're going to go over there and worship and we'll be back. We'll be back. And Isaac evidently was a smart child and he's paying attention to what's happening and he says father everything's going well so far we got wood that's good we got fire that's great did you forget the lamb I can see one of my children saying you're kind of like Abraham I'm the guy that can forget anything but in this moment Isaac points out the obvious and he says where is the lamb for the sacrifice and how did Abraham respond? He said, the Lord will provide. And they make their way up to the top of the mountain, and Abraham is about to do what God has called him to do. And a voice from heaven says, stop. Don't do that. And there in the thicket, there's a lamb that God indeed did provide for the sacrifice. And when you turn to the pages of the New Testament, passages that explain this episode to us don't answer all the questions that we would like to have answered. 
They just don't. They don't answer why in the world would God ask Abraham to do something like that? Why um, would this be something that God would put him through? All the questions that you and I come to the passage with, if you're like me, we don't get answered. But the thing that the New Testament focuses on in this passage is the truth that Abraham's faith led him to a point of obedience. Even in Genesis 22, Abraham's obedience to God's call in his life is held up as the point of the story. In response to his obedience, God blesses him. Hebrews chapter 11, this famous passage about all these heroes of faith. The writer of Hebrews says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This week we're entering into Holy Week. You can't read Genesis 22 and think about the sacrifice of Abraham's only son whom he loved without thinking about all that we're going to focus on and contemplate in the death of Jesus this week. And that Jesus ultimately would be the only son who would offer himself up to his father's plans And he had to entrust himself to God and believe that God was going to make good on the promise even to raise him from the dead. And that is the picture of faith that you and I are given as followers of Christ. This Holy Week reminds us that as followers of Jesus, Jesus told us things like, anyone who would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. But there is an element of the Christian life that, that includes embracing the way of the cross and trusting by faith that that way is better and that God will make faithful on his promises to us that not even death will separate us from his good purposes in this world. Just as faith is a miracle, us living the life of faith requires us to believe that God can do everything in our lives, even, even ultimately raise Jesus from the dead. You see, I wish the life of faith was easier. I wish I could just tell you, hey, come in here, sing some songs, give some money, offer some prayers, And that you can just go out into the world and that every day with Jesus will be sweeter than the day before. But you and I know that that's not the case. We know that the very things that God calls us to do in pursuing Jesus Christ oftentimes seem like the sure and certain way to death. And there has to be this faith in us that we believe that God can multiply the resources at our disposal, that he can accomplish far more than you and I can begin to believe or think or imagine. And it may be, it's, it's probably the case, it's likely the case, that, that none of us will take up a literal cross 
in our pursuit of Jesus. It's likely the case that none of us will be called on to literally give our lives as we pursue Jesus Christ and his purposes in this world. But it's obviously, it's certainly the case that it will cost us something along the way. And part of this, loving other people who are sinful, needy people in Jesus' name, it will cost you every time. And often the call in your life will come at the most inconvenient, frustrating time ever. See, most of us are good to serve Jesus as it works into our calendar. We're good to serve Jesus as we can kind of make sure that everything's on our terms. But following Jesus, when it really costs us something, to believe that to give is more blessed than to receive, to really acknowledge that this world is temporary and all the things that we're giving ourselves to one day will pass away apart from God's purposes and his will in this earth. To say with the Apostle Paul that if the resurrection is not true, then we of all people are most to be pitied. That is a pursuit of Jesus that is markedly different from showing up in a theology room at Beeson Divinity School and passing a theology test. What do you believe? And I can say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. I can say I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. In the virgin birth and in his atoning death on the cross. I can say I believe in the Holy Spirit. I can say I believe that one day he's going to come back to judge the living and the dead. I can say I believe in the church. I can say I believe that one day the resurrection of the body will happen. But when it's time for me to live into those things, that's when you see what I really believe. James highlights the example of Abraham here in James chapter 2. James is an outlier of sorts in the New Testament. If you're reading along in the Bible reading plan, we're reading the book of Romans. And Paul, over and over again, even in our series, we talked about justification by faith that we're made right with God, not by what we do, but by what Christ has done for us. And it's our confession of faith in him that reconciles us to the Father. And even in the book of Romans, we could talk about all the ways that Paul then shows us the implications of how we're supposed to live. But James, perhaps unlike any other, holds up what it looks like to live the life of faith that if you say you believe these things, then there ought to be good works in your life that testify to the validity of your faith. And hear me clearly this morning, I'm not saying that you can earn salvation. I'm not saying that you can do anything to earn God's favor or to make yourself more holy or righteous before him. But I am saying that if your life and your profession of faith in Jesus does not change the way that you live, that it may be the case that you really don't believe the things that you say you believe. 
And how you live gives testimony to what you believe. James is wonderful. He says, you say that you have faith. Let me show you my faith by what I do. And then he makes this haunting statement that ought to be challenging to all of us. He says, even the demons believe and shudder. There is a way to acknowledge that God is real, that God is present, but not to live into the Hebrews chapter 11 picture of faith, that we believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And James looks back to the example of Abraham offering up his son Isaac. He says, Abraham's faith was not just something that he professed, but you could see the sincerity and the genuineness of his faith by the fact that he believed that God, even if necessary, would bring Isaac back from the dead and make good on his purposes and his promises in his life. It excites me to think about the difference that we could make at Mount Brook Baptist Church if we were people more and more who lived into all the things that we say that we believe. And the, the joy and the depth of relationship with God that you would experience, that you can only experience if you walk in the ways that he's called you to walk. If Christianity to you is boring, it might be because you're not living into all that God's placed on your life. That's the case for me. I remember one summer I went out to Yellowstone National Park, and I've mentioned this to you before. And I'm always, believe it or not, I've always been more of a shy, introverted kind of person. We were out there with a lot of people who were not followers of Jesus, admittedly, and weren't that excited that the Christians were coming. We would live day in and day out with people who didn't know Jesus Christ, and it was that opportunity that God placed in our lives to step out and to live as Christians among them and to share our faith with them that I can remember for one of the first times feeling this sense of excitement and joy in my faith because I had to actually lean into all the things that I said I believed to be true. And as you join God and his mission in the world, there is a joy that comes that you can experience from just sitting around and saying all the things that you believe. The community around Mount Rip Baptist Church needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. People across our state need to know the hope that's found in Christ and Christ alone. And as God in his grace and his mercy by the power of his spirit more and more calls us to understand the significance of all the things that we say that we believe and we by faith step out and walk in obedience, I think we will be amazed that God, all that God will be gracious to do in and through us in the days ahead. I invite you to pray with me. Father, Father, purify us. Make us more faithful as your people. Help us to understand that you, you don't call us just to say things or even to make sure that we have all of our doctrines 
tighter and truer than every other church or denomination, but you actually call us to believe that the life of following Jesus is better. Or help us to be, to be willing to step out and to live into the life that you've called us to live. We pray that at the moments where we're tempted to turn back, moments where we're tempted to think that we have to withhold something from you as a safety net, Lord, that you would help us with Abraham and ultimately with Jesus to trust that you will make good on your promises in our lives and help us to experience a joy that can only be found as we trust and we obey you. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that today's message brought you hope as we continue to love God and live with grace and generosity. Be sure to check back here for more podcasts. And as always, go out and do the Lord's good work.